Let us pray. Father, truly you are immortal, invisible, and the only wise God. So now we ask that you would come among us by your spirit. Speak to us, work your good pleasure in and through us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. And um, happy Valentine's Day. I've got a, for those who are here in person, we've got a sea of red out in front of us. So um, it's wonderful. So, well, today is, on this icy Sunday morning, Transfiguration Sunday. That's last Sunday on the church calendar. Before we start the season of Lent, this coming Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And I'll have more to say about our schedule of Ash Wednesday services at the announcement time this morning. But I would encourage everyone, whether it be in person or via the live stream, to make sure to avail yourself of those services to begin a good and holy Lent. Today's gospel reading is taken from St. Mark's account of the Transfiguration. The Transfiguration is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's very appropriate today that for our Gospel reading being from Mark's Gospel, that our New Testament reading is taken from 2 Peter. And each year on Transfiguration Sunday, you know, we have three years, year A, year B, and year C. And we primarily focus on one of the synoptic gospels in each of those three years. So this year is Mark, but it's particularly appropriate that the New Testament reading from Second Peter is coupled with the gospel reading from Mark. You may ask, why is that especially appropriate? Well, a little bit of early church history. St. Mark, the gospel writer, had a very special connection to St. Peter. And the very early church historian and bishop, Papias, who is believed to have had direct interaction with both the Apostle John and perhaps some of the other apostles and many of the early church leaders, wrote in his history that Mark wrote down the things told him by Peter. So there was a very special connection and relationship. So much of Mark's gospel, they believe, was given to to him by Peter in Rome before Peter was martyred in Rome. So I want to look today at the transfiguration through the lens of 2 Peter chapter 1. The context here in 2 Peter is that Peter, probably with the aid of a scribe known as an amanuensis, wrote down, had this scribe write down what Peter dictated to him for this letter. And what is recorded is that which is of first importance to Peter's, St. Peter's recipients. Peter was passing on to his readers an authoritative statement to which they could constantly refer, something they could hang on to, something they could grab hold of in the truth. And Peter's reminding these early believers about essentials, truths upon which their eternal destiny hinges. Now, by all indications, these were established believers. believers. Verse 12, Peter writes, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he's writing to people who are already believers. Yet Peter feels compelled and drawn to write to them and issue them a solemn warning and a solemn ex- exhortation. Again, at the end of his life. And, and it's, it's kind of like one of those things where when someone in some cases knows that they are dying 
they have certain things that they want to make sure they say to those closest to them, to those who they love, things of importance, and they, or they may want to bless those people. Um, one of my friends from our former church who died of cancer in his mid-50s um, had some things that he needed to say to his brother-in-law who had grown up in a Christian home but was far from serving the Lord. And he had a very loving but heart-to-heart talk with him as he was dying because my friend Dave wanted to make sure that his brother-in-law heard the gospel once again and understood, you need to act upon this. So Peter's concern here, this, these last words of his really in writing that we have, his concern is that they be established in the truth that they have received. And this is the main focus of verses 3 through 12, backing up in this chapter a little bit, that they firmly be settled in the truth. And that's something important for us to grab hold of, the idea that we are firmly settled in the truth, that we're not wavering, that we lay hold and cling to those things which keep us on solid footing in our Christian faith. Peter's aware that this is, might very well be his last communication with them. As he says, while he's still in this body, and the wording there is literally still in this tent or in this tabernacle, Peter also understood the transitory nature of this human earthly life. But he wants them to clearly remember, accurately remember what he writes to them. So in our New Testament reading today, from 1 Peter, there are two key points that Peter gives them as anchors to the truth that I want to focus on. Because these are things that you and I can hold on to as well to remain walking fully in God's truth. Things that are reliable and unfailing in their truthfulness. The first one is this. They and we have the firsthand witness of the apostles. Peter testifies as a personal eyewitness to the event he records here that he speaks of. This is not myth or fable, as apparently some teachers at the time were trying to claim. Peter, verse 16, says, we were eyewitnesses of this. But to what were Peter, together with James and John, eyewitnesses of? Well, the context here is clearly the transfiguration of Jesus. This context is everything wrapped up in this incredible event, not just one portion of it. But specifically with regard to Jesus, they were witnesses of three things. They were witnesses to Christ's power. They were witnesses to Christ's coming. And they were witnesses to Christ's majesty. Verse 16 attests to this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. There he's refuting the naysayers. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For a brief moment, they see Jesus fully as who he is for all time and eternity. They see him in his glory as the eternal son of God. As one commentator says, Christ's beams of divine glory show through the veil of his humanity in this instance. And what they experienced at the transfiguration was not even a foretaste of Christ as he would be at his resurrection. Rather, it was a revelation of Christ as he will appear in all of his glory for time and eternity and as he will appear at his second coming. 
as both Savior and as judge. Peter ties all this together in verse 16 with this idea of Christ's power, Christ's coming, and Christ's majesty. And he's basically saying, we weren't making this stuff up when we told you about his power and his coming. We were eyewitnesses, paraphrasing. We've had a foretaste of what is yet to come. We have beheld him in the fullness of his glory, even if it was only for a brief moment. Everything here speaks of and points to the power and might of Jesus as the risen and ascended Lord of glory who will be fully manifested in all of his glory for all flesh to see and behold when he returns. Peter's point is that I've seen this with my very own eyes for myself. But Peter also heard with his ears. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 17. And then look at verse 18. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him. We were with Jesus on the holy mountain. So we have the glimpse of Christ's power and majesty to which Peter is an eyewitness. We have his actually hearing the voice of the father from heaven confirming all of this. This is the witness of the apostles. This is the witness of the apostles. This is a sure foundation and anchor coming from those who were present in that very moment, coming with those, from those who walked with the Lord day by day during his earthly ministry. So we have this sure foundation of the witness of the apostles. But then secondly, we also have the witness of the Old Testament, of the law and the prophets. Verse 19 And we have the prophetic word, not just the witness of what we've seen and what we've heard, not just the Old Testament witness. We have both and we have the prophetic word. And Peter reminds them that they will do well to pay attention to the prophetic word, especially to that which the transfiguration bears witness to. Because not only does the transfiguration, which we celebrate and commemorate this day, bear witness to the reality of Christ's eternal glory and the promise of his second coming, the transfiguration also bears witness to the truth and veracity of God's Old Testament word. Not just the prophets, but all of the Old Testament. Remember the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And then all of a sudden, who appears? Moses and Elijah. Why them? And I preached on this last year specifically on Transfiguration Sunday. Why them? Why did they appear? Moses appears representing the Old Testament law of which Jesus is the fulfillment Elijah appears representing all of the Old Testament prophets. Prophets that foretold who Jesus is and what he would accomplish. 
what Jesus said, think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. So Jesus has come to fulfill all of God's Old Testament word. And this moment on the mount with Moses and Elijah there points to this reality in a visible, tangible, audible way. So what does all of this say to us? What does this say to you and me? First, it says we can rely on the apostolic witness, what God gave in his word in the New Testament. And second, we can rely on the truth of the Old Testament, which is just as much God's word as the New Testament. We can rely on the law and the prophets. Look at 2 Peter 2, 21. And this speaks of the Old Testament. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, in a world that may shake and quake and seem so unsure around us, God's truth will endure. All of God's promises will come to pass just as he has said. You and I, just like those New Testament believers that Peter was writing to at the end of his life, need to remember these things. We need to remember the truths and promises and assurances of God's word. And we need to remember them and have memory of them, not just in the sense of recalling them, but asking God, the Holy Spirit, to apply them in our lives so that we live into the reality of these truths of God. Knowing that as 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, backing up a little bit, promises us, both to those New Testament believers and to us, God promises us this. His divine power, Listen to this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Let me read that again. That's a powerful verse of encouragement for us. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And excellence. We need to recall these truths and apply them in our lives and stand firm on the sure foundation. And we need to know, as verse 19 says, that God's prophetic word is a lamp shining in a dark place. What more could we ask for from a gracious loving God, who is our redeemer. He calls us to his own glory and excellence. By his divine power, he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And his prophetic word is a lamp shining in a dark place. No matter what life may bring our way as individuals, as a church, as the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ throughout the world, people made up from all walks of life, denominational backgrounds who are truly redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Brothers and sisters, this is our sure foundation. 
that we can cling to, that we can stand on, even when everything around us may seem like it is crumbling. Even for believers who are in dire circumstances in other places and parts of the world in this hour, God is our sure foundation. His word of prophecy was not spoken by the will of man, but was spoken by God as these people were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A mighty fortress, as we say this morning, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. As we live into his promises, as we live into his call to us as believers who are here, not by coincidence, not by accident, but here for such a time as this, in this community, in this season, may we live into and apply by the power of God's spirit these truths in our lives. And then standing on the short foundation, may we be about our father's business, his will and his work in this time. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you have given us the sure foundation of the witness of the apostles. You've given us the sure foundation of the law and the prophets and the writings in the Old Testament. So Lord, by your spirit, impress these truths upon our hearts. Strengthen us. Lord, thank you that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've called us to your own glory and excellence. So make us people of your glory. Make us people of your character through whom the light of Christ may shine even for such a time as this. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.